Wait, thank you, Shoshana. Hey, I want to invite you to grab your Bibles and turn over to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs. Hopefully, I'm, I'm encouraging you to bring your own Bibles during this series so you can have an opportunity to make some notes of them or circle some verses or those kinds of things as you go along. But, but um, if you didn't happen to bring your own Bible today, there should be one underneath your seat. I encourage you to grab that. And, and we're going to start off in the 19th. Ver, chapter of the book of Proverbs. It's page 547 in your pew Bibles. If you're using your own Bible, you don't know exactly where Proverbs is. You can always look in the table of contents in the front. A lot of people don't even know that there is a table of contents in the front of the Bible, but there, there is. But in addition to that, you can just, um, just kind of, if you just let your Bible fall open to the middle, most likely you're going to be in the book of Psalms and just turn a little bit to the right and you're going to get to the book of Proverbs. So we've been in this series, and this is just our second installment of what's going to be a multi-week series from the book of Proverbs, and we're looking at timeless wisdom for modern living. So we're looking at what it is that God has said in the past that still has tremendous value, always has value for us today. And one of the great takeaways that we had from last week was that wisdom... It's not something that we know, but wisdom is something that we do. Wisdom is not something that we just know. It's not intelligence. It's not our ability to to learn something new like from a book or from a lecture. But wisdom is something that we do. And somebody come up to me between the service and said, so this way I always think about the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is knowing that tomatoes are a fruit. Wisdom is being smart enough not to put them in a fruit salad. <laughs> so you can take that one for what it's worth, all right? But, but when we think about the fact that wisdom is about what we do, what, what, that, what that's going to float to the surface and it's never going to go away is that wisdom is rooted in making decisions. There isn't any way to do wisely, to live wisely, to do wisdom without making wise decisions. Because wisdom is a function of what we do. It's not just what we know. It's not just what we've mastered or can express out loud. But it's actually the choices, the decisions that we make and how that leads to a body of life. And, and so out of that, I, I, it, we need to look at this idea of how to make decisions. And and, and this is a critical issue for us for a couple of reasons. Uh, lots of reasons. Let me just highlight a couple of things. One is it's just the sheer, sheer volume of decisions that we make. You know, they, they tell us that on a daily basis, we make in the range of 35,000 semi-conscious decisions. Whether to put your hands in your pocket, whether to pick your nose in public, whether you know to cross your legs, or what are you, you know, what chips are you going to eat, you know, those kinds of things. We make all kinds of decisions. Some of them we're barely aware of those, right? You know, but but they're still conscious decisions. Others tell us that we make in the range of thirty decisions on a daily basis that have to do with judgment. We have to think about it and say, what do I want to do in these circumstances? Sometimes it has to do with a relationship. Some of the times, you know, you're, you're at the store and say, okay, am I going to buy this or not? Or when you're in college 
And we know when the alarm goes off, it's like, all right, am I going to shut off the alarm, skip my 8 o'clock class, and just kind of go on? It's a judgment call, right? I, I'm sure you guys have never been there and done that, right? But, you know, it's, you know, it's so, there's, there's, now, you add that up over a lifetime, that means on average, the vast majority of us are going to make somewhere along the lines of three quarters of a million decisions in the course of our lifetime. And those, all together, are going to create whether or not we have lived wisely or not. So as we, we look at this issue, we, this idea of making wise decisions that somehow or another, since our lives are built around what we do, and we have so many decisions to make, the skill set of making wise decisions is incredibly important. Here's the other reason why this is so important. And this is what comes out of Proverbs chapter 19. Look at verse 3. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 3. I'm reading out the Holman Christian Standard Bible, which is the same Bible that we have underneath your seats. So if your language is a little bit different, you'll understand why it says, A man's own foolishness leads him astray, yet his heart rages against the Lord. Can I express this a different way? We live life the way we want to, and then we turn around and blame God. And when you and I fail to make wise decisions, we live life the way we want to, and we get out to a place where our life is not where we want it to be, we're in a train wreck, and then we turn around and blame God that the spiritual fallout of making unwise decisions is incredible. Because when you're blaming God, it's hard to trust Him, it's hard to follow Him, it's hard to hear from Him. It's all kinds of things, right? It just continues to cascade, and before you know it, it's going from bad to worse to worser, right? You know, and that's not even a word, I know that, but, uh, you know, I'm speaking in tongues. It's just this uh, uh, divine utterance that comes, right? And that kind of idea. So, so when we start looking at this issue of man, wisdom, living with wisdom is is really a function of what we do, and that lies on the decisions we make. And we have lots of decisions to make, and the consequences of those decisions spiritually are huge. The question we really have to ask ourselves is, how is it that you and I make wise decisions? And that's what I want to look at today. And because of the nature of the book of Proverbs, we're going to have to jump around to a different place. Now, remember, we're, we're, we're encouraging you to read through the book of Proverbs and read the chapter that corresponds with the day of the month. Today is the 30th, right, of April. So we're encouraging you to read chapter 30 out of the book of Proverbs. You know, if you have a, a Google Home or an Amazon Echo, you can ask, ask it to ask Amazon, uh, to ask a, a, a version to read you the chapter. You can just sit there and listen to it. But we're looking for you to do each chapter based upon the day of the month that we are in. But the book of Proverbs is written, and it's not written like where they gave us, okay, let's, let's have all the stuff about money in chapter 3, and let's have all the stuff about relationships in chapter 4. It's not arranged by subject matter. The stuff just kind of pops up everywhere. So when we look at what it takes to make wise decisions, we have to jump around in the book of Proverbs, and that's what we're going to do today. So you're going to have to keep your Bibles out, ready to go, and that kind of thing. And, and, and so I want to have as our base verse, our launching pad, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. Anybody have those memorized? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 7? We actually had a taker to do it from memory in the first service. Anybody bold enough? 
Stand up and say it out loud to us. Going once, going twice. No fair looking at it first. That's cheating. All right, go ahead, Consoletta. Great. Thank you, Consoletta. Trust in the Lord. Yay. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not rely on your own understanding. Think about him in all your ways, and he will guide you on the right paths. Want to add in verse 7. Don't consider yourself to be wise. Don't consider yourself to be wise, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Now, here's, here's the very first skill set that goes with making wise decisions. And it starts with making a transfer of where we place our trust. We have to transfer where we place our trust. He's saying, listen, don't, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean. Don't trust on your own understanding, right? So the, where the heart and soul of wisdom begins is actually transferring our reliance for the information, the values, the perspective, the, 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 the truths that we're going to base our decisions on to move those away from our own heart and to place those in God. We have to go through a process, a decision, a heart set of transference to the wisdom of God. Now, the, the, the Solomon who wrote the book of Proverbs isn't going to stop there. He's going to go on and, and to encourage us to be spiritually skeptical about our own judgment about our own understanding. Turn to Proverbs chapter 12 with me, if you would. Proverbs chapter 12, just a few pages to the right. Here. Listen to these words. If you're using your old Bible, you might want to just circle the number, the number 15 in Proverbs chapter 12. It says, a fool's way is right in his own eyes. But whoever listens to counsel is wise. We're going to come back to that. A fool's way is right in his own ways, in his own eyes. Okay. Flip this around. When we think what we think is right, we're a fool. When we are leaning on our own understanding, when we're leaning on our own judgment, we say, well, this, this is what I just know has to be right. I don't care what the Bible teaches or anything else. When we are leaning on our own judgment, our own understanding, when we look at it and say, this is the right way, the Bible says, you, you're a fool already. Because the fool thinks that he knows the right way. It's it, what's right in his own eyes. And so... Another passage, just, just across the page into chapter 14, looking at verse 12. It says, there's a way that seems right to a man. Hey, this is the way you're supposed to do life. This is the best way for me to do life, whether it's with my career, my relationship, my money, whatever it is. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. You know, there, there's sometimes when, when we said, you know what, this is, given everything that's going on, this is just what I have to do, this is the way I'm going to do it, etc. And, and we're just headed down a thing, and at the far end of it is nothing but a train wreck. There's just a, there's just a wall sitting there ready for us to plow into it. And, there, and, and there's death that's awaiting us. And he's referring here not just to physical death, but spiritual death, the, the whole way of... And, 
And so the first, so as he continues on with his journey, he's challenging us. He's saying, you know, we, we, the, the, the place where you start with wisdom is say, you know what? I can't trust my own gut. I got to trust God. Can't trust my own instincts, my own direction, my own understanding, my own judgment. I need to make sure I go through this process of transference. Now, there's ways in which the word of God will affirm what we believe, and then we'll have that, that, that um, synergy that will develop. But when you and I are just doing life from our own perspective, whether it's about our relationships or about our, our finances, whether it's about our careers, it's about our future, it's about what we believe is right or wrong. When we're just kind of saying, well, I, I just want to make this up for myself and because, you know, then you and I are in a pathway where we, and we need to transfer that over to the Lord. Notice that he says here that we need to not trust, we need to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and not lean onto our own understanding. And with this is, is the idea that, that we need to transfer wisdom or, or our basis of what we believe and what we're going to do, our decision making, the values that's underneath that, the energy, the direction, the priorities that we have. We need to transfer that away from our own heart and we need to do that into the fear of the Lord because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Right? And with that, we need to trust in the Word of God. The Word of God is the clearest expression of God's truth for us today. Now, let me give you a, a living picture of this from the Scriptures. Here's a guy who, who, who God had been working in, God had blessed him, risen him up to a place where really beyond anything he could have ever expected. And then he got to a place where he says, you know what, I'm not going to fear the Lord anymore. I'm not, I'm not going to understand the word of God and follow it. I'm going to base it on my own understanding. And this guy's name is Saul. Some of you guys know the name of Saul. A couple of years ago, we did a study in the book of 1 Samuel entitled The Journey to the Throne. And as a part of that, we encountered the very first king that was appointed over the nation of Israel. Just a, a little background that the, the God had led the people out of Egypt. They had been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. They had grown into a, a large nation inside of the nation of Egypt. And God led them out through Moses, through the Exodus. And they traveled through the wilderness for 40 years before they entered into the promised land. And under Joshua, they came in and they took possession of the land. And they had a roller coaster ride, as you can read in the book of Joshua. See, they were in a place where God was supposed to be their king. It was a theocracy. And so God was their king, and they were the subjects. As long as they were faithful to the king, they'd have security. When they were unfaithful to the king, when they were unrighteous, when they were disobedient, they would lack security, and they would become vulnerable to the enemies that were around them. And so they had an up or down experience. They were faithful to God. Things were great. Then they would rebel, Say, you know what? I don't really want to do things God's way anymore. I just want to do them my ways. This is what seems to work in the world. This is the way we got to get ahead, that kind of stuff. And, and, they'd, and they'd wander away from God, and God would bring judgment on them, and they would suffer militarily. Their enemies would oppress them. And so the people said, you know what? We, we don't like it that way. We don't want our spiritual condition to have an impact on the quality of our lives. So give us a king like all the other nations. Give us a king like all the other nations. We want somebody who's going to fight for us and keep us safe whether we're walking with God or not. And God grants their wish and he gives them Saul, who's their very first king. Now Saul is, is he's not really 
anybody, right? He's big, tall, handsome, strong. But, but he, it, it's not like he had a claim to the throne. Nobody did. And God raises him up from a nobody, and he becomes the very first king. And, and tell you what, you know, he gets off to a great start. The Ammonites come across a little village by the name of Jabesh Gilead and threatens to, you know, to, to poke. The only way they're going to accept the surrender is if they gouge out a right eye and all that kind of stuff. And, and God uses Saul to bring deliverance. And there's total victory. And the people are like, yes, this is why we wanted a king. And so the ones who were the doubters, they come around and say, we're, we're on board now. And then they have some great victories over the Philistines. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 14. You know, Jonathan and his armor bearer kind of gets some momentum going. There's a great victory. The Philistines are beaten back, and that's pretty much it. And, and so there's great victory, and, and everybody's saying, see, this works. And then God said, you know what? All right, so I'm ready to use you to do my work. There's a group of people that I've been waiting to execu- execute judgment against. They're known as the Amalekites. These are the vultures of the ancient world. These are the people who preyed on the weak, the vulnerable, the young. These are, you know, like when the Israelites were moving through the desert, the Amalekites kept attacking the rear end of the procession, the place where the women and the children were and the old folks. And they kept raiding the ends of, of, of the procession as they were moving towards the promised land. These were the vultures. They weren't doing this just to the Israelites. They're doing it. God said, you know what? I'm, I'm ready to bring judgment. These people are inhumane and I'm going to bring judgment on them. So he said, Saul, I want you to go. I want you to execute my judgment against the Amalekites. And with that, I want you to kill everybody. I want you to kill everything. And I don't want you to bring anything back. No jewelry, no gold, no animals, no people. I want everything. And they go out and they have a very successful campaign against the Amalekites. And then Saul decides to lean on his own understanding. He says, you know what? I got a better idea than God's. Let's bring back the king, because then the king can tell everybody else, see, they killed everybody else, right? You know, and so he said, let's bring the king back. So they do. They bring back King Agad. Even though God has specifically said through the prophet Samuel, I want everybody to experience judgment, he brings one back. And then on top of that, they, they, you know, the people get looking at it, and, 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 and Saul admits later, says he was afraid of the people. You know, he was, he's looking at the opinion poll. Say, we came down here, we did this battle, we put our lives at risk, and you're not going to let us take anything back. So he, he decides, you know what? It would be a great idea if we took the best bulls, the best sheep, the best goats, and, the, and, the best, and we'll bring them all back and we'll sacrifice them to God. On the flip side of that, when you sacrifice something, you've got to eat part of it. Right? So, and so he said, that's a better idea. He's leaning on his own understanding. So he gets back. And Samuel shows up and he says, how'd it go? So I said, great. He said, well, what's that noise I hear? That's, that sounds like a sheep. That, that, sounds like a, that sounds like a bull. And, and so, yeah, 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 yeah. We, we one-upped God. You know, he told us to wipe everything out. But you know what? We brought it back so we can sacrifice it to him. God's going to be really happy. He's leaning on his own understanding, right? And then later, and then he said, well, you know, and then he said, hey, and we killed everybody. Just ask this guy we brought back. You know, and, 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 so, and Samuel says, you know, you were a nobody, and God raised you up. And all God asked you to do was just fear me and do what I tell you. And it's all going to be fine. 
Instead, you decided to lean on your own, your own understanding. And in chapter 15, verse 23, what Samuel says to, to Saul is, is words meaning he says, you know what? He said, you know, um, he says, insubordination is the same thing as immorality or adultery or anything else. When you do some of what God's asked you to do, but you don't do all of what God's asked you to do, it, it's no different than if you're a murderer, you're, you're immoral, or etc. He said, well, God, God doesn't want sacrifice. God, God, at the end of the day, showing up for church on a Sunday morning when it's nice out, you know, or, 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 or going to a life group or putting some money in the plate is not a way to appease God for the disobedience that's going on in your life. It's not. And so he said, you know, we need to go through this process where we stop trusting in our own judgment and we rely on the wisdom of God that's been expressed to us in the Word of God. The heart of the matter for me, and I don't know how you understand this, but the heart is, can I, am I going to transfer my definition of what it takes for me to be happy? Am I going to switch it from my heart and let it rest with God's heart. You see, the only reason it feels like we're making sacrifices for God is because somehow or another we think that if we do life our way instead of God's way, we're going to be happier. See, I'd really do, like to do this and go there and keep this and do whatever. And, 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 we th- and that's the way I can really be happy. But you know what? I'm willing to give all that up and I'll go over here and be miserable for God. And, and God's like, that's not my agenda. I want you to be happy, but I want you to be happy in the context of holiness. And the only reason you and I feel like we're making sacrifices for God is because we're saying, you know what? My way will make me happy, but all right, I'll do it God's way. And, 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 and the heart of the matter for this transference is to say, you know what? God's definition of happiness really is happiness. And trusting that and wanting it, and pursuing it. And so that's the first step, is transference. Here's the second one. Turn with me to back to, look back at Proverbs chapter 12, just across the page, right, if you're using one of our pew Bibles. Chapter 15 again. A fool's way is right in his own eyes, or when we think we know best, we're fools, but whoever listens to counsel is wise. Again, just over a couple of chapters to chapter 15, verse 22, and this is, these, these references are in your notes. Plans fail when there is no counsel, right? But with many advisors, they succeed. For you and I, wise decision starts with transferring our trust from our own hearts to the truth of God. The next step that goes with it is seeking and following godly counsel. Seeking and following godly counsel. What do these passages say? Verse 22, plans fail when there is no counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Going back again to, to chapter 12, verse 15. A fool's way is right in his own eyes, but whoever listens to counsel is wise. Every single one of these words is important. Seeking, following, 
and godly. A lot of us, you know, we're not interested in seeking the counsel of others. Uh, some, for some of us, it's a pride issue. I can figure this out on my own, etc. You know, it's just we just we we don't really care what anybody else's thinks. We've already got we're smarter, brighter, more insightful. We know what's going on. I don't want to pay attention to anybody else. Some of you are sitting here saying, "I, I just can't wait for this service to be able to get over because this guy doesn't even know what he's talking about." Right? And that's what you think. So I, I'm too smart for everybody else, and we don't want to seek any counsel. Others of us, our struggle is much more on the following side. Yeah, I'll take it into advisement. Now uh, that's out. You know, some of us husbands can confess that our wives has given us some good counsel in the past, and we don't always follow it. I've got a few memories, I've got a few scars that go on that idea where Christina said, you know what, that doesn't sound very smart to me. And I'm thinking, I ain't following that. <laughs> you know, and then you just pay the price for it, right? You know, it just, it just happens. You know, you've got to seek and you've got to follow, you know, but on top of that, it has to be godly advice, godly counsel. You know, that doesn't mean it's always the friends, your friends and family. Sometimes our family, sometimes our friends can give us really bad spiritual counsel. You know, that's not always the case. But see, here's the thing. When you're looking for a counselor, you want somebody whose biggest commitment is for you to have a right relationship with God. So that if they're asking you a question... And you need to give them counsel. They won't say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to tell you what you need to know, even though you may never talk to me again for the rest of my life. And, and I've had that happen. I've had people sit in my office and you give them counsel directly out of the word of God and you never see them again. See, his family and his friends often were thinking, well, all right, I don't, I don't want to break this relationship. I don't want to damage this relationship. So how do I kind of nuance it or whatever and maybe not really say what I should be saying or whatever because I, I want there to be a relationship. And, and in some ways, we're grateful for that. But when you're looking for godly wisdom on the decisions that really matter in your lives, the things that really are going to create this overarching context of work that's going to lead to either wise living or unwise living in the sight of God. You want people who are going to give you godly counsel, who are going to tell you the word of God clearly and specifically, even if it means they'll never talk to you again. And, it's, and, and, and so we, we need to be seeking and following godly counsel, because in godly counsel, our plans succeed. Let me give you an example from the scriptures. You might want to write this reference down, 1 Kings chapter 15. I'm just going to tell you this story. As, as you're reading through the book of, of Proverbs, what you're going to see over and over again is the phrase, my son. And most of us think that what Solomon is doing is he's writing a book of wisdom that he's going to leave to his son, Rehoboam, who's going to be the king after him. Now, a little backup, right? Solomon is, 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 um, is the second, he's the third king after David. He takes the throne when David dies. And, and right out of the bat, he's making some bad decisions. He's got an alliance with Egypt. And he's not supposed to be doing that. He marries a woman who's an adulterer, you know, as an alliance strengthener. And he's not supposed to be doing that. And he's just, so God shows up and says, listen, Solomon, what do you want me to do for you? And Solomon says, you know what? I don't know how to do this job. I don't know how to lead your people. Give me wisdom. 
And God grants his request. And because of that, he's qualified to read this book. So as he gets through life a little bit, he gets a little down the road. He says, you know what? My son's going to go through the same thing. I'm going to leave him some wisdom. So he writes this book out, for, uh, collects the stuff. God leaves, leaves us a gift at God's provision to us. Rehoboam takes the throne after Solomon dies. And the nations show up, the 12 tribes show up to affirm this. But they have a request. They say, listen, your dad was an active builder. We had a lot of military campaigns, a lot of successes. It, it has been a lean 30, 40 years for us. Been a lot of taxation, a lot of taking. We, we just need to have a season where the load is just a little lighter. Lower our taxes for a while. Let us build our own homes, cultivate our own fields, that kind of stuff. And Rehoboam says, all right, let me think about it. And so then he reaches out and he gets counsel. He turns to his father's counselors. And he says, what, what do you think I should do? So he's seeking counsel, right? And they say, you know what? If you will grant the people this wish at this time, they're going to love you and follow you forever. So we think you should do this. <laughs> then, then he goes to the young guys. I mean, these are the guys he, you know, he used to play JV football with, right? These are the guys that he, you know, he played pickup basketball with. He goes to them and he says, what do you think we should do? What do you think I should do? They say, you know what? You're the king. You should tell these people, you know what, that your pinky can put more pressure on them than your father's entire body. And that you're just going to, you, you know, and you think it was bad before, you ought to see what's coming now. Rehoboam says, I like the sounds of that. So he goes back to the people after three days. He said, you know what? I've listened to your request. And I want to tell you, if you think you was bad under my dad, you got nothing coming. You, you better see what's coming. It's because my dad, he, he sat on you and it was heavy. But boy, my pinky is heavier than him. And the people said, you know what? I think we'll do something else. So within three days, he lost 10 out of the 12 tribes. And he's thinking, like, can they do that? You know, you know it's, uh, can they do that? And they did. Imagine like, you know, on, you know, in three days, I managed to take a church from 120 to 10. <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, we talk about various churches around. At the end of the day, people vote with their feet, right? You don't show up. You don't show up. People, the people leave. And so here's a guy, you know, who sought but didn't follow godly counsel. And from then on, we had the northern nation of Israel and the southern nation of Judah, which consisted just of the two tribes that he was over, of Judah and Benjamin. We need to seek and we need to follow godly counsel. Another thing I want you to see, and our time is running, running quickly here, Proverbs chapter 19. You and I need to exercise patience in making our decisions and then getting the facts. We need to exercise patience and getting the facts. Look at verse 2. We started with this. Even zeal is not good without knowledge. And the one who acts hastily sins. So the one who acts hastily sins, that means we need to slow down and be patient. 
Think it through. Pray it through. I think you need to be able to go through the process of figuring out what does God really say about this? What are the godly people in my life whose counsel I trust say? And then lastly, we need to be thinking about what, what is the Spirit of God confirming in me over and over and over again? So that you know that the, 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 the heart that you have, what you feel is right, isn't just attributable to last night's bad pizza, but it's actually the activity of God over a period of time as you go forward. We need to, we need to exercise patience in getting the facts. And I think this flows in, you know, Jesus saying, you know what? When you come after me, you need to count the cost. Some of the great stories we have, right? If you're a king, and there's another king coming against you, and you're looking around, you count the army, you've got 10,000 guys, and he's got 20,000, you figure, do I have a strategy that lets me win? If you can't win, if you've counted the cost, you ought to sue for peace. Right? And, and then on the other end, you know, he's he saying, you know, if, if you've got a vineyard and you're, you're losing some of the stuff around the edges and you think, all right, I need to build a tower so I can keep an eye on everything, you better figure out how much it costs and then take a look at your bank account and make sure you can get it done. He says you need to count to, saying the same thing, you need to slow down, think it through, and know. And sometimes what we think is that as long as we have enough zeal, if we're just passionate about it, getting committed enough, that somehow or another it's just all going to work out. And that's not true. I don't know why the Lord brought this back, this story, this, this experience that I had, but when, when I was pastoring the, my, the first church I planted down in Hanover, we had this guy in the church, nice guy, good friend, really in many ways a great blessing to me over the years and that kind of thing. But this guy was, he was a large fella, right? I mean, he was like my height and weighed like 150 pounds more than me. Just a big, big guy. I mean, you know, his truck tilted you know, from, from riding it a lot, you know. And so one morning we're having, we're having breakfast at this coffee shop. And it was, it was one of these places where you had like 12 seats in a whole diner, right? And, and so the guy behind the counter is the cook, the owner, and the waiter. He does everything, right? And so some, and, and, and believe it or not, he's even bigger than my friend. I mean, you know, he's, he's like my height and he weighs like 400 pounds. Just to, I mean, this is a guy who, who knew what he cooked because he ate everything that he cooked, right? And so it must have been like marathon time or something or other, but somehow or another we get onto this conversation where these guys are saying, you know what, if I had to, I could run a six-minute mile. And I'm thinking to myself, only if it was downhill and you were rolling, you know, I mean... <laughs> I got images from my head, you know, saying, you know, I remember when I was in high school and one of our conditioning tests was to run a, a half mile in three minutes. And I've trained all summer long. And then when I did it, it was the only time I ever did it. And, and I was just sucking wind. I mean, I, I, I couldn't even ride my bike home. I had to walk at home, you know, from the field. It was just all, and these guys are thinking, and, and, and they're saying, oh yeah, if my house was burning, I had to save my kids. I could do a six minute mile. I'm thinking, there's no way. Just because we, we're, we think we have the passion for it, there's no guarantee of success. He says, man, you better slow down and you better get the facts so you know. And, and a lot of times we are hasty in our decisions. And I, and I got to tell you, the more important the decision, I think the longer we need to take and the more milestones as God tries to need to be given us. I used this example in the first service. You know, if I went home today and I told Christina, you know what, God told me on the ride home that I should become a, a, a translator. You know, we should go to this unreached people group that doesn't have the Bible in their own language and, and I'm going to translate the Bible into their language. 
And Christina's going to say to me, you can't even translate your thoughts into English. How in the world are you going to do this, right? You know, and so, I mean, so when, the bigger the decision, the more milestones, right? Some of you are really great at languages. Doesn't take you long to start picking stuff up. Whatever, you know? There's a lot of indicators. The bigger the decision, the more milestones, the more indications from God, the more affirmation of God as we go through. There's a lot of other things that I could say along those lines. Lastly, you and I need to be careful that we appropriately accept the blame and we also appropriately give the credit when it comes to our spiritual journeys. See, I think we are at risk in living unwisely when we blame God for things that are our fault and we take credit for the things that God has done. Look at, look at, it. we started out with verse 3 of chapter 19. A man's own foolishness leads him astray, but then he turns around and he blames God. You know, God, I, I, I know you gave me a map, I know you gave me a compass, and you gave me a guide. But I didn't like the guide, so I got rid of him. The compass, well, I lost that somewhere along the line. And the map, well, I couldn't really read it, so I just kind of tore that up. And now I'm in the middle of the desert, and I have no idea where I'm at, and how come there's not a well here? This is your fault. There's no well here for me to drink, and I'm, and I'm dying of thirst. And, and, we think, and God's saying, well, I gave you a map, I gave you a compass, and I gave you a guide. And now you're blaming me that you're in the middle of the desert with no well. We need to accept the blame. On the flip side, and if you turn over just a couple of chapters to chapter 21, verses 30 and 31, and this is not in your notes, so if you're keeping notes and want to admit, you can add 20, chapter 21, verses 30 and 31 is a reference to use. No wisdom, no understanding, and no counsel will ever prevail against God. You can scheme, you can plan, you can do whatever, and it's not going to work unless it's what God wants. A horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory comes from the Lord. And the imagery there is, is that a, the, the horse was a strategic weapon. It allowed you to strike quickly, right? It's like, it's, like you going into a, it's like you going into a battle against a few guys and you got a tank, you know, you just have this, he says, listen, just because you have the strategic advantage, you think you've thought it out, you've got more than that kind of stuff, the only way the victory comes is from the Lord. You, you think you've got things going on in your life that's great and et cetera, and you're saying, it's all me. I'm smarter than the guy down the road, it's all me. If you're taking the credit, I've got to tell you, you're getting it all wrong. Because the only reason why it's working is because God's in it. He's chosen it. You know, and, and, and that's, that's, that's a powerful thing. You know, Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you know, wh why do you guys worry? Don't worry. Don't worry. So which of you by worrying can add a single second to your life? Which of you by worrying? I mean, you could just worry every single day, 24 hours a day. Which, which of you by worrying can make yourself even a fraction of an inch taller? I mean, I'm convinced now, you know, that no matter how much I focus on it, there's no way it's not going to get thinner and thinner on top, you know. And my sons who are taller than me love to point that out. Say, hey, Dad! You know, and, and, and we, 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 it's, it's in the hands of God. It's in the sovereignty of God. 
You know, I, one of the most tragic stories I've heard from here in town, I didn't know this family personally, but, but here's a guy who, he worked in a job for a long, long time that he didn't really like, and he finally reached retirement age. And so what he had always wanted to do was he wanted to run a fishing tackle store. He just wanted to have a store where he just sold fishing products, whatever, worked with guys, worms, and all that kind of stuff, whatever. And so he retired on a Friday. They had a big party for him on Friday afternoon. And on Monday morning, he was going to open his new store. It was fully outfitted, all the equipment in there and everything. Sunday afternoon, he died of a heart attack. Man, we, 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 we need to appropriately accept the blame. And we need to appropriately give the credit for the things in our lives. Because those things will promote wisdom in our lives. Let me conclude this way. Wisdom is a... At the end of the day, living wisely is a long-term thing. We, we, we want to start here. We want to live a lifetime. And when we get to the far end, we want to, and people are walking through greeting our family when we're lying in the funeral parlor, we want people to say, man, that, that, that was one of the wisest guys I ever know. You know how we get there? And, and, and I've used this illustration over and over again. I use it, think of a bicycle, right? We start out here, we want to go a long way. We get to the far end. The way we get there is by doing the same thing over and over again. The way in you and I live wisely is that day in and day out, day in and day out, we make wise decisions. And it starts by transferring our trust from our own hearts to God. And that's why he says to us, seek first my kingdom. Seek first my kingdom. Seek first my kingdom. Are you really making wise decisions? And what do you need to transfer to the counsel of God? Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word today. There's a lot here. There's a lot of pieces I left out. And even with that, we're really long today. But God, I pray that you would lead us to be a people who are wise. Because, not because we get smarter somehow, but simply because we learn how to rely on you like we never have before. Grant us that prayer we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.